going to places and when he preached. He, uh, we preached a lot of little churches down in uh, Steubenville, Ohio, Bridgeport, Ohio, some places in West Virginia. And uh, that song brought back all the memories of those, of those times. Uh, that, that's the way it should be sung, and that, that's the, it was great. I mean, it was just, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I was thinking back of those days and, you know, how, how good it was back then and, and uh, how much I appreciated all that. So thanks, guys. I do appreciate that. Uh, concerning the uh, 4th of July uh, extravaganza, I forgot to tell you, you need to sign up back there. We're going to do steak shish kebabs on the grill for everybody, so i got to order that tomorrow. So please uh, sign up back there, and if you can bring a, uh, a, bring a side dish or a dessert, uh, bring lawn chairs, of course. Jamie's going to say she's going to have the drink, so it'll be a fun time. And uh, uh, I'm not sure what everybody's laughing about. What did I say wrong? Well, I'm glad it. This water is yellow. I mean, it's yellow. <laughs> Tastes yellow too. <laughs> if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 20. You know, last week I, I talked about probably, I think, which was the greatest single verse in all the Bible that will honestly will will put an end and, uh, and fix any issue that we all face in life. Uh, we all face issues. I face them. You face them. And, um, you know, it's simply the idea of disciplining yourself to the principles of the Word of God. And I know that's a lot easier to say than to, to, uh, to do sometimes. But we looked at, in particular, verse 18, where it says that every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice you make war. And you remember, uh, and I like to do this in my own study of the Word of God, and uh, I, I broke that verse down into, into four areas. And we talked about each one of them and then come back and kind of put it all together. We talked about the fact that everybody has a purpose. God saved you for a reason. We talked about the fact that once you understand that purpose, the next thing you need to do is let God establish you in the Word of God. Then to establish you in a New Testament local church and to go from there. Uh, we talked about the next thing is to you, know, you get established by, uh, by counsel. And we talked about the Bible being the principal counselor book that has all of the principles in it by which we do what we do in life. We talked about getting, the fourth thing was getting good, solid advice to make war, the war being your ministry, and all the things that go along with that. You know, a, a, a learn, a, a discipline is, a, is a, an incredible word. Well, we talk about discipleship, and we have a program here that uh, you can go through a, a number of lessons and be discipled, and then you can actually go to the next level and get discipled in the second level, a little deeper into the Word of God. We call it discipleship. Jesus, when He was on this earth, He had disciples, and those disciples were men and women that followed Him. There's a difference in the Bible between apostles and disciples. Most people don't know that. Uh, not all disciples were apostles, but all apostles are disciples. That's, you know, And of course, it's a thing where uh, the word discipleship or disciple really comes from the word discipline. And, and that's really what it means. A disciple uh, is, a, uh, is a person who, who has disciplined themselves uh, to the teaching of Christ. Uh, they became his disciples. In other words, he gave them a discipline to follow, a structure of doctrine that he taught. When the scribes and the Pharisees came to him, they always had an issue with what he taught. They always had an issue with his doctrine. 
And uh, the doctrine was what he taught. And the men and women that followed him became his disciples because they disciplined themselves uh, to what he was teaching. And the failure today, really, it's just simple in Christianity. The failure today is very basic and very simple. It's a failure for us to discipline ourselves to the teachings of Christ. Make those things the hard, fast rules of life. And today, it's, it's, it manifests itself, and I talked about this last week in a, a number of different ways, but we talked about Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12, 13, and 14, where it simply says that uh, some of God's people, by the time they ought to be teachers, you have to go back and teach them again the Word of God. And it, it made one of the most remarkable statements that, that I could uh, uh, ever uh, find in the Bible, where it said, it basically said that, uh, um, that the failure to do that, will, you'll lose the ability to discern between good and evil. You won't be able to look in a church in the world, and you won't be able to say, this is wrong, I want to stay away from it, this is right, I'm going to allow it in. You lose that ability. And that's what the Bible does. That's what disciplining yourself to the Word of God and its principles, it does for you. It gives you good, solid advice on what to stay away from and what led into your life. You know, we were told in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20, that there was a day coming that it said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, and put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And then it goes on and says, And woe unto them that be wise in their own eyes and prudent uh, in their own sight. And of course, that's where we're at today. We're like that with churches. Churches, things go on in churches and people think it's okay. When in actuality, the Bible teaches that it's wrong. That's the way it is in the world today. Our world is upside down simply because of the fact that, you know, that we think that uh, uh, good, is, good, is, uh, good is wrong and wrong is good. And the prophet Isaiah... 400, 500 years before Christ showed up, he, he, he laid out what was coming in your life and my life. And so, you know, that was a great verse last week, and I hope it, it meant something to you uh, that uh, uh, kept you from the world this week and, uh, you know, and, 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 and give you a perspective on what you need to do. Today, I want to continue in chapter 20, and I want to look at another set of verses. We want to look at Proverbs chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. And it simply says this, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth his secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Whoso curses his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but will wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Let's pray. Father, we ask you today, Father, to help us to move through these verses. We help us to put together all the things that we need to do. Help us to think clearly today and to put all the things in our hearts that may be heavy aside. And Lord, help us to always look for the Word of God and to be able to put it out to give other people what they need. And Lord, I just pray your blessings upon today. And now in Jesus' name, and sake we ask it. Amen. Now today, again today, we're going to look at some more really good principles to add to our a library of good advice that uh, will establish, you know, our purpose in life through being a disciplined uh, Christian. And I talked last week about the, the, the disciplined Christian life, structuring yourself to a discipline that you hold to. Now look at verse 19. It says this, He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth his secrets. Therefore, meddleth not with him that flattereth with his lips. 
Now, as the verse stands on its own, it's pretty easy to understand what he's talking about. It'll be about people who will use flattery and then take advantage of you, or uh, you know, they'll take the confidence that you put in them and they will, uh, that you trusted them with, and then they'll take that out and tell somebody else and, and, and cause issues with it. Uh, it's talking about people who will tell you, as I said, what you want to hear, and then uh, through their flatteries, by telling you what you want to hear, through their flatteries, have a personal agenda, uh, and in most cases, you're going to wind up getting hurt in it. It's a false friendship, a false relationship, uh, that through flattery of their lips, uh, as I said, they simply are telling somebody what they want to hear, and they have their own agenda that they're going to take, and they're going to do uh, what they want to do. Now, that's how the verse stands. But we know that in our Bible, and I'm talking about a King James 1611 authorized version, that, that everything in it there is in there for a reason. And there's three applications of the Bible. There's a historical application, which it actually happened in history. There's an inspirational application, like we just talked about, or something that's practical in your life. But then there's a doctrinal application. And the doctrinal application will always cast itself forth to uh, prophecy or something that God is going to do in the future. And doctrinally, this talebearer here that uh, you're told not to meddle with, it'll be the Antichrist. And you know that in your Bible, in Proverbs, you have a wise man and a foolish man. The wise man is someone who heeds what God says. He heeds what God says, and he stays away from it, where the other guy is the fool, and he gets caught up in it, and he, he, he gets destroyed. And we know that. Uh, you know, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, it talks about uh, the characteristics of the devil, the Antichrist. It talks about him having a proud look. It talks about having a lying tongue. It talks about hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are swift running to mischief. And it talks about a heart that devises wicked imaginations. And then it says a false, uh, a false witness that lies. And then it says sowing discord uh, among the brethren. And the way that he does this, the way that he does it is the way so many people do it. He tells people what they want to hear. He flatters them. He tells them, uh, he finds out what they want in life, and he tells them all about it. He'll tell them everything that, uh, uh, that he, they want to hear, and all at the same time they've got an agenda that they're, they're going to do something else. And without a doubt, the devil will be the greatest flatterer that the world has ever seen. And the, the context here, doctrinally, as I said, will be the Antichrist using flattery within the tribulation period to deceive and fool the nation of Israel as he's doing the whole world. Look at Daniel chapter 11. I'm going to look and show you a couple of places of the Antichrist doing this found in the book of Daniel. I want to go to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Pick it up in verse 21. And it says, In his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably, now here it comes, and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. See that? And with the arms of a flood they shall be overthrown from before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully, for he shall come up and shall become strong with a people. And it says there that he takes the kingdom by flattery. Now look at Daniel chapter 11. Let's look at verse 32. Same chapter. Move down a little bit. Verse 32 and 34. And such as do wickedly against the covenant 
shall be corrupted by flatteries. See that? But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, and by spoil many days. And when they shall fall, they shall be hoping with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries. It's very clear that in Proverbs, you know, the Antichrist is going to use these flatteries. In Proverbs, the, the system of the Antichrist is likened to a strange man uh, and a strange woman. This woman is a harlot. She's a fornicator. Uh, she, will, uh, she will seek out young men and she will destroy them. And she does this, uh, uh, she does this through religion. And this will be the Antichrist fundamental religion, Babylon, the great mystery religion, the mother of harlots. And this will be the woman who will take uh, your crown and take your garment in the day and age that we live in. Uh, the great example of it is Samson and Deliah. Uh, it, was a, it was a situation where here's a guy who was stupid. He didn't follow anything with the Bible. He never really paid attention. He followed his own flesh and his own emotions. And we know how the story ends up. And uh, Delilah ruined him from what God wanted him to do. And God, Delilah has destroyed him. And inspirationally, this will be any woman who will use her body, use her looks, use whatever she has uh, in a physical sense to try to destroy somebody and to try to take advantage for whatever uh, purpose she has. And the book of Proverbs is written to us to prevent this. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16 says that the Word of God, book of Proverbs in particular, was written to deliver thee from the strange woman, even than the strange woman which flattereth with her words. And of course, that's a reference again to the Antichrist. Doctrine is a reference to any woman who wants to take advantage of somebody in an in a, in a inspirational way. Proverbs chapter 7 is the great chapter on it. It talks about the fact, he says in 7.1, My son, keep my words, lay, not up my com- uh, lay up my commandments with thee, keep my commandments and live, uh, and, uh, and my law as the apple of thine eye. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. Say unto wisdom, thou art my sister, and understanding. Call understanding thy kinwoman. In other words, make wisdom and understanding part of your life. That's what he's saying. Make it part of your life. These are the principles. Make it part of your life. Make it part of your everyday life. Verse 5, that they may keep thee from the strange woman, from the stranger which flattereth with her words. And then it goes on down in 6, 7, all the way down to verse 23. It talks about how that she, she, she meets this young guy. And the Bible says down here that uh, uh, verse 15, it says, uh, verse 14, she is loud, she is stubborn. Uh, verse 11, uh, her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, nor in the streets, and lieth at weight in every corner. She caught him and kissed him, and with an imprudent face sent unto him. Now this last week when I gave you those 28 things, this is the time to refrain from embracing doctrinally. Embracing this woman, this religion. And of course there'll be a time... Uh, there'll be a time that uh, there'll be a time in a physical sense and an inspirational sense there'll be a time you're not to embrace somebody like this too uh, and so it goes on and it says and so she caught him verse 13 and kissed him and with an imprudent face said unto him, this is called body language no with an imprudent face she said her face says something this is why women want to put their face the way that they do you know they want to get a message across and sometimes it's not a very good message I have paid my peace offerings with me. I have, made pray, I have paid my vows. She's, she's religious, see? She's religious. 
And therefore came I forth to meet thee diligently to seek thy face. I have found thee. And I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with card works from the linen of Egypt. Egypt the type of the world. I have perfumed my bed with mirth, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Uh, let us solace ourselves with loves. Uh, for the goodman is not at home. See, it's the church age here. The goodman is Christ. He's not here. It's the church age. And this is this woman working through it. Look at verse 21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. And with her flattering lips, she forced him. What happens? He goeth after her straightway, and an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteneth to the snare, and knoweth not what is for his life. And you see... This is an exact example of what Proverbs is talking about. Now, in addition to that, you'll find that these words of flattery will be called enticing words in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul tells the church at Corinth that they're following the enticing words of man's wisdom over God's wisdom. Also, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, uh, somebody is enticing you and beguiling you through flatteries. And what the devil will do What the devil will do is he will flatter you with knowledge like he did Eve. He came to Eve and he flattered her. Ah, you'll be like the gods knowing good and evil of you. He flattered her. He, flat, he used flattery with her. <clears throat> and he came to the place that, that he told her and he brought her and elevated her to the point so much that, uh, uh, that she actually thought she knew more about it than God did. And that's what the devil will do with flattery. He'll make you think you're so good. He'll get a man to the point in his life with all of his good deeds, with all of his good works, with all of his dedication to changing society and all the social things and the issues he deals with, that he doesn't need God uh, and uh, he can rest in his own righteousness. And if that isn't a picture of not only America today, but Christianity. You know, in life, people will, will feed your ego. They'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll use flattery to falsely build you up with flattery, and then they'll use you. It happens all the time. And an unprincipled, undisciplined life will always fall for the con man Christianity. They always will. And, of course, this will be the strange woman of Proverbs chapter 5 and again in Proverbs chapter 7. Now, look at verse 20. It so, whoso curses his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in obscure darkness. Now here again, doctrinally, just so you know, this will be found in places like Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, where in the tribulation period, the kids are turning against their parents. And they're turning their parents in. And they bought into the, the, the flatteries of the Antichrist, and their mom and dad, maybe they haven't. And so whole families are being split up over this. And it'll tell you in Matthew chapter 21 that the kids are turning on their mothers and turning on their fathers, just like it is here. But inspirationally, uh, the verse is dealing with uh, a son or daughter who grows up uh, in this life and actually hates their, their mom and their dad. And that's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thought, but it happens in the real world all the time. Uh, you know... Uh, we live in a world today that the problem with our children and the problem with kids uh, is the fact that their parents do not raise them to be under any kind of structure of authority. They do whatever they want to do. And, of course, it, they grow up into that. And uh, you're looking now at America with the leaders of this country who were back in my day, which was the, 
late 60s and the 70s uh, were the movement that was against the establishment of this country. It was against the government. It was against the war in Vietnam. It was against anything that was established. They were the beginning of what you see today to understand to be the liberal movement. And now they're all grown up. Now they're congressmen, they're senators. Now they're, they're, they're people who hold high authority in office. And they brought their valueless system right into this country. And it all started back then because moms and dads were not disciplining their children. They were not being trained in the Word of God. And uh, in the Old Testament scenario, to put it into a historical context, when a kid, whether it was a son, uh, you know, get, was rebellious to his mom, mom and dad, uh, capital punishment was in order. They killed him. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 through 21 says this, If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them. Well, every one of you here that's got kids have had a situation similar to this. Your kids are still alive. In the Old Testament, they'd be dead. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him. That'd be called physical abuse today, by the way. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out unto the elders of the city and unto the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of this city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is glutton and he's a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stone that he die so shall thou put away evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. They killed him. Now, this will give you some insight. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, when they're starting to get into the whole armor of God, it says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It goes on and it says, Honor your father and the mother. That's Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise. You know what the promise is? The promise is, if you don't honor your father and mother, I promise you you're going to get killed. Based on Deuteronomy chapter 21. Now, people look at that and they think, they think, why was God so harsh to kill kids like that? Well, God understood a great principle that most parents don't get today. God wanted to build a strong nation. And he knew that that nation being strong would be built on families. And he knows that when the children are not strong and the children are rebellious, the nation will wind up being rebellious. We see it on our own country, as I said a few moments ago. Our country is run by a bunch of lawless liberals today who are in rebellion of everything against God simply because when they were teenagers, that's how they were raised. That's how they were trained. That's what society gave them. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's exactly what it is. And God knew that he had to stop the rebellion in children if he was ever going to save the nation. Because if the children went, as they grew up, the whole nation would go. And this is why we see the example in the book of Judges where he says in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, a favorite verse around here, that there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now in a practical application, in a practical application, a father and a mother will or should put the light of God in their child that this verse will never come into play. You put the Word of God light into your kid. And when a parent doesn't, and the light of God is not there, then the kid only has darkness in his spiritual life, and it'll cause mom and dad some incredible issues. We see it all the time. You deal with it all the time. 
Proverbs 13, verse 9 says, The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. You know, we talk about, I'm going to punch your lights out. That's exactly what God does. And, of course, that's exactly how it works. And, uh, you know, it, it works like this. The light inside of a man will be called, in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, is called a candle. And it's, it's called a lamp. And in Proverbs 20, verse 27, it's defined as man's spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, when man's spirit gets mated up to God's spirit, the lights come on. The Word of God, the Bible says in Psalm 119, 105, is the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet, light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, At the entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. When you turn the lights on in your kid's life, when you put the lights on in your kid's life, it gives them understanding that they can grow and they can get a hold of some things. And when you don't turn the lights on, then they're going to be in darkness and you know what the verse says. The lights are going to be put out in obscurity. People, people don't grasp it that when the lights are turned on in your life, people are drawn to it. In time, the light will establish that person. And people within the church, people that you work with, people around the world will, will see the light in you. And it's something that you can, you can draw to them. This is why your testimony is so important uh, in your life. It's the light of God in you. And it's something to, uh, you know, that you pretend that you're a Christian and the lights are on, but when the world sees you uh, or your friends see you, it, it's, another, it's another scenario. That's a, very, that's a very confusing thing to people. It'd be like driving down the street and in a dark night and all the lights are on in the homes and it's a very pleasant, warm feeling, but then you come to a house where something's wrong with the electrical circuit and it's like somebody's flicking the switch. The lights keep coming on and off real fast. You know there's something wrong in that house. When the lights keep flickering on in your life, there's something wrong in your house. I mean, it's not hard. You may not want to deal with it, but it's not hard. You may not want to be truthful about it, but it's not hard. It's not hard. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16 says that ye are the light of the world, and the city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, uh, uh, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. So let your, let your light shine so before, uh, before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And you know, it's a, that's a great concept, because it, it's like uh, this church is made up of individual temples, houses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have a, you know, in this house, we desire to be clothed and not naked. You're like a small city. Our little city here is about 300 people connected with it. And that's our city. And you take a city and put it on a hill, and everybody in the house turn the lights on. I remember one time, early in the space program, one of the astronauts, and I can't remember who he was, he was just... He was by himself in one of the, had to be one of the Mercury guys because it was Apollo after that, and they had two guys there. But he was, he was doing his orbits around the Earth. And his hometown was, I forget where it was, but he was passing over them at night. And everybody orchestrated and coordinated. He's 400 and 500 miles up in space. As he passed over the United States, everybody in his city flicked their lights on and off. And the whole city, they, they, they shut everything off, off and on, off and on. And the whole city saluted him, and he could look down and he could see the off and the on lights of that city. When everybody in this church, when your lights are on, 
and we're a city on a hill, people see that light. And they're drawn to that light. What confuses them is flickering lights. And of course, when you come back to Revelation chapter 1, you'll find that each church in church history in their seven periods, they have a, a, an angel that represents a candlestick, their light. And you'll get in Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 that the Laodicean church, their candlestick is gone. They have no light. And today the church has no light, the light being the Word of God. And your family is to be a lighted family. People in your world, in your neighborhood, they should see your family as a light. They should see mom and dad and kids get in a car and go into church while the neighbor across the street is mowing his lawn. He's going to take note of that. He may not say anything about it to you, and he may dismiss it. But let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit of God is going to work on him. Why? There's a family over there where they're all going to church. They're all going to church. Your family is to be a lighted family. All members having their lights on. And moms and dads will either uh, light those lights and keep them going, or they will put the lights out and they'll suffer the consequences with their child. I've known, I've known in my ministry, I've known kids that they, they learn to do drugs. They learn to drink alcohol. They learn to smoke cigarettes. They learn to do all the things that the world vices are being taught by their parents. I had a kid one time that his mom, his dad and him used to go buy drugs together and, and do, do marijuana together. I mean, that was a father-son deal, you know. And uh, it's a terrible tragedy. And a kid grows up and, you know, he, he gets completely lost in everything. And there, instead of the parents keeping the lights on, they turn the lights off. I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen many a child learn to drink, smoke, do drugs, to fornicate, to gamble, uh, to live a godless lifestyle from their mom and their dad. That's what they taught them. That's what they trained them. And then mom and dad consciously, they don't care about the light in their own life, but unfortunately, they turn off the lights in their children's life. You know, I'm, I think family values are a very key part of everything. And I think family values are an incredible part of, of a good, strong family. And I think that a family is always talking about making memories with their children. And I think that's an incredible thing. I think that families ought to grow up together and they ought to make memories. They ought to have vacations when they can all look back and talk about it and laugh. They ought to have a school activities where they go and they support the kids. They ought to go to their baseball games and their football games and their soccer games and all the fun times together that they have. I think making memories for your children is, is an absolute paramount thing to do. But I want to tell you something. The best family memories should be the memory in your child's mind of a God-fearing, Bible-believing, ministry-orientated parent who paid, the pill, who, paid, who paid the bill to keep the lights on in their family. And there is going to be a cost for doing that. There's going to be some things that as a parent you're not going to be able to do that maybe you want to do. And you may think you get away with it because your kid doesn't see it. It's not the kid seeing the act of what you do. It's the spirit by what you do that that spirit gets taken by guess who and translated into your child. Parents, under, parents 
wonder sometimes why their kids uh, do things that they do. And, uh, you know, they don't figure it out. It's because you've done the same things. And you think because they didn't see you do it that you got away with it. <laughs> you don't get away with anything. It's your spirit you're infusing. And when you get the wrong spirit, that's the spirit that gets put into that child. It's just that simple. Uh, it's, a child needs to have a God-fearing, Bible-believing, ministry-orientated parent that's involved in a local New Testament church that is willing to pay the bill to keep the lights on in their family. Amen. And that'll cost you something. It always will. Nobody has, a, has all the lights on for all their life in their house that electric bill doesn't come. And there'll be a light bill for keeping the lights on. Count on it. And of course, when we don't, then the light shall be put out in obscure darkness. And that's how we lose our kids. I look at verse 21, back to Proverbs. An inheritance may be gotten hastily at the beginning, but the end thereof shall be not blessed. And this is a great, this is a great commentary on modern day Christianity. Doctrinally, It'll be the Antichrist showing up, bringing the false second coming in the millennium. We know that he comes portraying himself to be Christ, and he brings in a false millennium and a false second coming. You see it in, in the Revelation chapter 6 and in Revelation chapter 19. Uh, it's very clear what he does. Uh, you can see the counterfeit in almost everything that he does. And, of course, he, he brings about a great deception by flatteries, and he establishes a false kingdom, and he thinks Israel thinks that they've gotten the inheritance that God had for them. Except this one isn't going to have the blessings of God in it. Inspirationally, it's dealing with God's people getting your inheritance, getting your reward here in this life. We talked about this Thursday night. Or getting them over on the other side when the Lord comes back. Right now, a false inheritance inheritance, the world, it, it, it can look pretty good. Everything looks good while you're doing it for the moment. But the blessings of God are missing in it. And uh, it's a thing where uh, you can live like a king now and have everything that you want. You can kid yourself into thinking it's all of God and, and, uh, and brother and truth of the matter is God is in a thousand miles around it. You know, it's the great principle. It's the ability, as I said, to be able to discern between good and evil. It's the principle in your life and my life. It's the principle in your life and my life to be able to look at a situation and say, and understand, is God in it or is he not? That's where it starts. That's where it starts. And many of God's people, unfortunately, they say, is God in it? or God not, they know the difference and they go ahead with it because that's what they want to do. You can live like a king now and have everything you want or you can get it over there. The key phrase here is the end thereof. And the real question is how are we going to end up? For an unsaved man, it's going to be the great white throne judgment. For a saved man, it'll be the judgment seat of Christ. But the question for each of us today is how are you going to end up? You know, down in Alabama years ago, I heard this story a long time ago. An old dead Southern Baptist preacher. I mean, he'd been in the system all of his life. And I don't know if you know it or not, but back in the 20s and the 30s, and even today, the Southern Baptist Church is just an absolute mess. 
I mean, they are absolutely, they were so bad there at one time uh, that they were at their major uh, seminaries, they were teaching evolution. They were teaching that Noah's flood was a fable. They were teaching, that, teaching young preachers that Adam and Eve were not, not a true story. And they've raised a whole generation after generation of, of men in the pulpit today who simply do not believe anything about the Bible. It's the reason J. Frank North left and started our church, basically, on a long chain of events, if you follow them through history. I mean, that's where it started from. And this guy, he, he retired. And he lived in a, a fabulous house, very expensive. He had a very nice fat pension. And now he got the easy life. He got to play golf whenever he wanted. He got to do all the things that he wanted to do. He had paid his dues in the pastoring as they do within that system. Many have systems that way. And now he's out to pasture, so to speak. Uh, all his life he was part of the corrupt, ungodly system of the Southern Baptist Convention. He followed all the rules. He played ball. He did everything they told him to do. And now he gets his reward. He gets his, he gets his pension, and it's a nice one. He gets a home. He gets everything that he could ever want. He's now late 60s, early 70s, and he's received, after 40, 50 years of the ministry, he's retired, he can take it easy, he can kick back, he can relax, out the pastor, so to speak. I mean, he can actually move down to Florida like all the Baptist pastors do and go to the dinosaur preacher graveyard where they all die. One day there was a knock at his door. And as he answered it, there was a lady there, probably in her 60s, asking her to speak with him. He invited her in, and she says, Sir, I want to talk with you for just a moment of time, and I, I just wanted to stop by. I won't take much of your time. But I want you to know that I have now found the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I stand before you, and I'm washed in the blood of Christ tonight. And, and he kind of looked startled that somebody would come to his door and say that. And she continued, and she said, And I just wanted to stop by, brother so-and-so, and tell you that I was in your church from the time I was a little child. I grew up in your church as a teenager. I grew up in your church as an adult woman. And not one time did you ever tell me about the salvation and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that could save me. And so I wanted to stop by, and I wanted to tell you now I'm saved. I thank God that he got me to a man who finally told me the truth. And that dear saint of God turned around and walked out of that house with all of its grandeur and on her way to a real inheritance. Not the fake inheritance that that old preacher had. I mean, it looks good at the beginning, but the end thereof shall not be blessed. That old preacher represents 99% of the men uh, uh, behind the pulpits in America today. It represents 99% of the, of the people that go to churches today. Pastors today, they got to live in better houses than their people live in. They drive better cars than they do. Their lifestyle is five or six levels higher than the people that come to their church. They don't have to worry about anything. Everything is taken care of them. Uh, they got a great retirement plan with the church. They got everything that they could ever want. All they got to do is hit that magical golden number. I mean, this guy had character. He had reputation. He had good works. He had good deeds. He had money. He had friends. He had security. And he had a lifelong ministry. 
and it all meant absolutely nothing to God. He got an inheritance down here. He played the game. All of his life he played the game. The game in the Southern Baptist Convention. And they took care of him now, but God was nowhere around. But the end thereof shall not be blessed. Wait till he hits the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, that little story is about one woman. How about all the ones who never found Christ? Now, let me just say this to you. You don't retire from the ministry. It's a lifelong purpose. When you get into the ministry, there's no expiration date on it. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 8.8, there's no discharge from this war. I was eating lunch here not too, oh, last year sometime, and I ran into a, a, a guy that was a preacher friend of mine from years gone by. I hadn't seen him for years. Him and I were both youth pastors, and he was a youth pastor uh, not too far from where I was. And a, many of you would know him. Penny would know him in a heartbeat. You probably know him too. Uh, I won't say his name. Um, come to me afterwards, and I'll be glad to tell you who he is. <laughs> but uh, we met at, we met at, uh, we met at uh, uh, I mean, I was eating there, and I was getting ready to leave. And he was standing there waiting for somebody to come. And I, uh, and I, I went up to him, and I said, hey, how you doing? He says, hey, how you doing, Bob? And we talked back and forth. And I had known that, that when the pastor of that church had been there for many, many years, that when that pastor retired, that this kid took over the church. You know what I'm talking about? That's what they do? Okay. And so it was a thing where, uh, and, and I got to tell you, this kid was not a pastor. I mean, I, I'm not being cruel. This guy couldn't preach his way out of a wet paper bag. He did not know the Bible. Uh, he, he, was, he, he just wasn't. He was not. But that was their desi- that's their desire. It, it isn't a question, should I or should I not? It's I want to do it, so I'm going to do it no matter what the Word of God says. So he took this church and <laughs> absolutely it went down. Like all guys who can't admit their failure, he blames the church not growing based on the location of the inner city, or not the inner city, but the bad area of the neighborhood that they're in. Who's going to come to a church like this? So he tells all the people in the church, let's move out to another place that is more growing and more moving and more everybody will, will, will buy some land there and we'll, 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 we'll sell this building. We'll go into, a, we'll go into a, another little building over there that we'll rent until we get 1,000, 5,000 people coming now and then we'll build this big church. Though so that's got to be the way. He never considered that you don't build churches by building buildings. You build churches by building people. But when you don't know anything about the Bible, how are you going to do that? I mean, there's only so many sermons on the Internet you can get. <laughs> so I, 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 I asked him, I said, hey, how's it going? I said, I hear you moved out so-and-so and you're going to, you know, you're, you're, how's, that, how's that working for you? And he says, oh, he says, I'm not doing it anymore. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm retired. I mean, this guy is, is, is my age. He says, I'm, I'm retired now. I'm retired. And I said, really? You're retired? Uh, he says, yeah. He says, I just, he says, I've done, I've done all my part of my life. And he says, it's time for me now just to take it easy. And I said, I said, and I asked him, I said, do you ever see the, the, the former pastor anymore? And he says, oh, yeah. He says, I'm waiting for him. He says, he's, uh, he's uh, coming in. We have lunch together about once every other month or so and so. And, of course, he's retired too. Probably getting off the golf course, you know, come over. 
And, and, I, and I walked away from that and I thought to myself, that's exactly the way it is today. You don't know what you're doing. So when it fails, it's got to be either the people's fault, the geographical location's fault, the church building's fault. Hey, if I can build a church in a bomb shelter, you can build a church anywhere. <laughs> this room used to be an antique mall. This used to be a car museum. This, church, this, this room used to be Lord knows what. But, it, 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 but, but you know what? It doesn't matter. What matters is the Word of God. That's what changes people's lives. And this guy, he said, I'm just going to, I've done my part. He didn't do anything. He never built anything in his life. He never built one thing. But when you get to that point that you want your inheritance here, God will give it to you. God will give it to you. Look at verse 22. Say not, thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Now, this is a great principle on life. When people do wrong or do you wrong, you want to let God deal with it in His time, in His way. The self-discipline not to retaliate, to do something to get even. Obviously, the great example of this that probably comes to all your mind is David and Saul. Saul wanted to kill David. He was David's enemy. He used flatteries to get David in situations where he could try to kill him. And you know what? David had multiple opportunities when he could have killed him and ended it right there. But he just let God deal with it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30 says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. Now, that doesn't mean you don't hold people accountable. But it simply means you don't get even. When you go back and you look at the story of Joseph and his brothers and all the evil things that he did to them, and you read once they have to come back to him, you know what he does in that story? He holds them accountable, but he never hurts them. But he held them accountable to what they did, and then God brought the whole thing together. I mean, he could have had them killed. He could have done the same thing to them that they did to him, but he understood. In fact, he says, he says, you don't understand. You meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good that we could get a lot of people saved through this. He's looking at it right perspective. You see, when you're right and following the principles, you don't have to get even. Because the same principles you follow to do the work of God will be the same ones you follow to move on and know that God will take care of it. Verse 22 says, But wait on the Lord, and He shall save thee. Now that word save thee is not getting saved from your sin. It's save you from the people who are out to get you. He'll deal with them. He'll take care of you. Be patient. He will save you from hell and he'll save you from those who live like hell and try to hurt you. You just wait. I mean, I've seen situations where wait 10, 15, 20 years and see where their life is at and then see where your life is at. Wait 20, 10, 15 years and see where their kids are at and where yours are at. You see, when nothing else tells, when nobody will tell, when nothing else tells, time will always tell. Just watch it go. Watch what happens to them. And Hey, I've seen them. I've seen them lose their ministries. 
I've seen them lose their wives, lose their husbands. I've seen them lose their kids. I've seen them lose everything and wind up on a trash pile and are absolutely miserable. And the root of bitterness in them makes them one of the most, somebody you don't want to be around. And it's a great principle. Oh, there is a great principle that God always takes care of the person who wants to do right. I don't have to get even with somebody because that's God's job. Sitting around and thinking how to get even, and let me know, tell me something, I have some incredible ways if I wanted to. <laughs> Sitting around and thinking about it, all it pulls you off what you're trying to do. And there's enough things that I have to deal with that can pull me off of what I have to do. There's an old saying, and I've followed it for many years. It's not in the Bible directly, but it's in the Bible in principle. And it simply talks about being patient and waiting, like 22 says, verse. And I've followed this for years and years and years of my life. I'm not even sure where I heard it, but I found it to be true. It's a saying that I've heard people say it's an old Chinese saying. I don't know. I've never heard a Chinese say it. I've heard somebody say it's an old, uh, old saying from wherever. I, I, I can't vouch for that. I just know that it's a good saying and it's true. And I've followed it all my life. And it simply goes like this. When getting even with people or people do you wrong, if you sit by the river long enough, the body of your enemy will float by. Let God deal with it. Let him deal with it. I just sit there. I know those feet flowing out of the water. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, the great chapter that tells us how to deal with the world and people. Romans chapter 12 says that we're to be a living sacrifice. You know, that, that takes discipline. It takes discipline to, uh, to live the Christian life in front of people who that need Christ and we don't follow through with what we should do. Romans chapter 12 verse 21 says, Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You follow the principles. These are great, great, great proverbs. Too many of God's people get overcome by evil. They're obsessed with what people do to them unfairly. The evil things that people will do uh, will be all around you. If you're faithful to do the ministry and you experience that, you experience that evil to, sooner or later. It, it's just going to happen. You're going to invest in people. You're going to put your faith, your trust in somebody and you're going to find out that they're going to do you evil. It, it, it's just the way that it goes. It's, it's, it's life, sooner or later. And you know what? Uh, there's not a thing you can do about it to stop it. All you can do is deal with it. And you deal with it through the principles. Sometimes you have to let people go. It may be the hardest thing in your world, but you know that this is not going anywhere. And I have to come to the conclusion that I've got to let this thing go. I've got to sever this thing. And sometimes that's what you've got to do. It's not easy. Never easy. It might be the hardest thing that you ever have to do in your life. But you know what? Some situations get to that point, and there's nothing you can do. You'll never, you'll never isolate yourself from it. Boy, I wish we could. I wish we could go through life and never, never have to touch any of these things. But that's not reality. 
You'll never isolate yourself from it, but you certainly ought to be able to insulate yourself from it. You keep things from getting to you. A guy asked me one time, he says, you know what? He says, I've followed your life for a while. He says, I've got to ask you a question. How do you deal with all the crap? He didn't say crap, but I did. <laughs> he says, how do you deal with it? All the years, how do, you, how, how do you deal with the deception? How do you deal with the crookedness? How do you deal with the, the dishonesty? How do you deal with the lies? How do you deal with all of this stuff? I just simply said, you know what? In time, you learn to make friends with it. You realize that this is life. You realize that this is the way it's going to go. doesn't make it any easier. doesn't make the severed relationships any easier. But you realize that you can take comfort in the fact that you're not alone in this. But many of God's people that stood for the Word of God that got betrayed in something that, that, that had to do the right thing. You take comfort in that. You'll never isolate yourself from it, but you're able to insulate yourself from it. And you'll do that through your ability to discern between good and evil. And then you have to make the hard choice. You have to have a purpose in your life when they don't. You have to establish yourself in the Word of God and the church that God gave you, and they never will. And you have to set your affections and focus on things above, because they won't. And you have to allow the principles of the Word of God to d dictate how you feel and how uh, and deal and 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 with everything that it comes your way keeping your sanity you know one of the things for me and i've 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 had hard decisions that i've had to make in my life and i will have more hard decisions that i have to make in my life there's times you have to say goodbye to some things there's times that you have to you have to lose some things. We saw that last week in the 28 things, didn't we? What keeps us going? What keeps us going when we have to walk away from something? What keeps us going? A while back, I gave you the great illustration of, of the guy prospecting for gold and how that he built that little, <coughs> he built that little thing with the water running down and he got in one of those little round things that's got a screen in the bottom and he 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 puts a shovel full of dirt out of the riverbed on it he puts it under the water to wash it and he shakes it back and forth and he'll he'll do that to all the little stuff and all the big stuff that won't fall through stays there and he looks no gold he'll get another shovel full he'll put it in he'll put it under that running water and he'll do it again he may do that all day long and then one day, one day, one night, about four o'clock in the afternoon, he pumps that shovel in. He's tired. He's ready to, he's ready to pack it in. He says, ah, "I'm going to do one more." And he puts that load of dirt in there, and he starts to do it under that thing, and the light's kind of fading, and it's running through that thing, and all of a sudden, the, the water washes away, and he sees that gold nugget about that big. And there, in that shining pan that he did all day long and never get enough, getting out of his thing, he found the biggest nugget of gold he ever saw in his life. Now, I promise you, he had worked long and hard. But when he found that one nugget of gold, I guarantee you, he never thought twice about all the dirt that he had to sift through to find that gold. 
You see, the thing that will always keep you going will be the gold nuggets that God gives you. You. The men and women who come in who are committed to the work, committed to the Word of God. The ones that God, through our sifting, who are taking the dirt of this world and all the people's issues and all the people's problems, and we put them in that big old thing, we put them under the water of the Word of God, we shake you up on Sunday morning and Thursday night. You have to go through a lot of dirt to find one nugget of gold. But when you find that nugget of gold, all the dirt you had to shift through doesn't matter anymore. That's how you deal with it. Never focus when it comes to people because you're going to lose some people. You're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose some relationships. You're going to have to say goodbye to them. There'll be no profit in them. There'll be no value in them. And you have to come to the conclusion like I have. You can never focus on what you don't have. All you can focus on is what God has given you, the gold nuggets that you do have. People will betray you. People will lie to you. People will, will tell you whatever you want to hear. You have to come to the place where you take your stand. And the thing that will keep you, keep your sanity, is the fact that all the dirt you have to put up with and all the dirt you have to go through in the ministry and, mo and many of you know what I'm talking about because you worked with how many people before you found one who did what they needed to do? I put you with people after people after people. Pretty soon I think you're wondering, what is wrong with you, Bob? All you're giving me are the, are the dropouts in life. No, I'm just giving you people. And what you are is you're prospecting. You're looking for those gold nuggets for God. So you put them under the water with all of their problems and all their dirt, and you just ship them up. Ship them up. Ah, that one didn't work. That one didn't work. And then one day, you get one that is a piece of gold. And it makes all the other ones. And forget it. These are great principles. These are principles that will help you. These are principles that will keep your focus. And if there's anything that we need to do, we need to keep our focus. Well, let's hold up there and let's have a word of prayer. I'll give you about.